0: Hey everyone and welcome back to The Deep Dish, a space where voices will be amplified, respected, listened to, and where the only requirement is that your belief in actions do not hinder the progression of the disenfranchised. It is my hope that my conversations with these incredible guests will be the sweetest treat in your day. Let's get to it. I am excited to introduce today's Yes. OK, ladies and gentlemen, all the way from Houston, Texas, he conquered the business of hospitality and so and soon he'll conquer the business of changing lives. His upbringing set him up for greatness. Uh, don't put him in front of a choir. The CT native, the mover, the shaker, the NB kid himself, Roger McGillwain. Hello. I I have, like, known you for at least over a decade. I have been trying to pinpoint when we met, but I cannot. Um, What I want people to know about Roger is Roger will put together an outfit, okay? Roger (laughs) comes with outfits. He's absolutely hilarious and one of the sweetest people I know. And so, Roger, welcome to The Deep Dish. Thank you for coming on today.
1: Thank you so much, Alyssa. It's such a pleasure to be on and talk to you about um, some topics that need to be
0: talked about. And so how I like to start off this uh, podcast is by asking my guests, what was your favorite childhood dessert?
1: My favorite childhood dessert. Hmm. That's funny. Cause we actually had this conversation. Uh, my mom and I, a few months ago, we were talking about pound cake. Um, and there is a lady who went to Spotswood um, who has gone on to glory and she had this pound cake. And I mean, I've never had just nobody can top it. It was so dense. And then she put this icing on it. And I think growing up, going to all the stewardess board, you know, meetings and um, anniversaries and that dessert, I was looking forward to it. And it was Elizabeth Stewart's cake. So I think that was my favorite growing up because that's the only one I can really remember that I had a lot of.
0: Mm. And so, like, when you think of that childhood, Roger, like. What was he like? What was he into? What was he doing?
1: Well, it was always the music. It was always music for me. Um, So ever since I could talk, it was in the children's choir. I was in the school choir. I was playing instruments. Um, At that point, I just wanted to be everybody's friend. I was, you know, bubbly old Roger in everything at church seven days a week, um, school. And that's it. That was me being everywhere um, and around everybody.
0: So I mean, it would make sense then that you would end up going into <laughs> the hospitality industry. And so, like, let's 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 figure how how did you get interested in that? How did you even find that that was an interest an industry that you can get into?
1: So it's funny because I can never really remember the origin of my search, um, but I know. Growing up, like my grandparents going to conferences when I wasn't was in school, I was always at conferences with them. I was up and down the hallways in the hotel. Um, I loved traveling. And then I think I went to a career fair um, in high school. And I was like, wow, I can go to school to work in a hotel. I didn't know I needed a degree. Well, you didn't necessarily need a degree, but to excel, um, a degree is necessary. And I applied to that school only. I went to that school um, my junior year of high school to do like an intro um that's the only acceptance letter I got. and I took it
0: and I ran. May here we are. Yeah, because you've been in the hotel specifically industry for five, quite five years, some time. Yeah. Five years and then if you
1: if you count school, I mean that's of oh, nine, ten years because they start you off. It's a career school. So I was doing hospitality first day of classes, so almost nine years.
0: Wow. Mm-hmm. And so what what's your favorite thing about the hospitality industry?
1: I'll answer both questions. Cause they you're going to say the least favorite it's the people, which is the crazy part. So you enjoy, I enjoy meeting people. I enjoy, you know, doing above and beyond things for guests and, you know, the little things that you do at a hotel, especially in management that you can do. Um, and then of course the least favorite thing are going to be the people because you're going to have those people who are paying big money or they expect so much from the brand you work at and something just doesn't go right. And you've got to be that person. Cause it's, I just want to see your manager and you just got to put on that face and you know, it's what you're it's you're paid to do. And then this is what my training was for and what I went to school for. So the same thing as the people, which is the greatest thing about it. And then sometimes the least greatest thing more often, they're great than they're negative.
0: Last year was a year. It I was. don't even know how to explain. I, I don't know how to even mm-hmm. explain what 2020 was like. And so a lot of these tourist industries suffered. Mm-hmm. Um, what was your experience working in the whole, you know, hospitality industry through COVID?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, it was literally a year ago last week was literally when everything kind of just came to a like screeching halt. Um, and I remember we were at work and we saw it on the news and we were like, well, what are we going to do? And we didn't have the mask just yet. Um, I had just started working overnight shifts. Um, we had the rodeo, the Houston rodeo, if you know what that is, it's a huge month long event. That had just started, um, and then all of a sudden the next day we come into work, rodeo shut down today, and then we have to wear these masks. And then the hotel went from 80% to 10%. There's two arrivals today. There's four arrivals today. Um, and then the layoff started just one by one by one by one. And I was like, okay, you know, when is my turn? And they are like, no, well, you know a lot of things. And because i have been with the company longer... Um, and they kept me on until they couldn't anymore, and they closed the whole hotel in April. Um, and I was off for a month, and then we opened up again in June, but it's still not back to where it was, of course, because you know business isn't necessarily there, but a lot of positions are eliminated, um, and this is industry-wide positions. Salaries, hotels are still closed. Um, the company I used to work for sold five properties in the middle of it. So this industry, you know, people think about airlines and everything like that, but like hotels, especially meetings, um, business travel, businesses that went from in the office to work from home. Um, it just took a really, really huge hit. So it's going to take a long time to get us back to where we were.
0: What are some of the things that you guys have had to implement since COVID?
1: We started with um, in front of every desk, there was that uh, plastic plexiglass with the plexiglass. There's cleaning supplies at every station we're supposed to wipe down the counter after every transaction. Um, So that's credit card reader, desk, computer, everything. Um, Masks, of course, at all times. And then that's one thing But then you have housekeeping who had to go through an entirely new training, which was tedious in itself to then go through a whole entire room and clean it literally from top to bottom um, to prevent the spread of the disease. So a lot of housekeeping departments, did a lot more work as opposed to, you know, the food and beverage side or like the front desk side. Um, But housekeepers, they were in the lobby, wiped down the elevator every 30 minutes. It's just things like that that we had to keep up. Um, And it's tedious and people don't think about it, that the the spread of germs and the amount of people opening and closing doors and touching buttons and sitting in chairs. it's, It's frequent. So to stay on top of that is a lot of work.
0: What's one thing that you didn't realize about your industry? Like, did you realize how fragile this industry was?
1: You know what? I didn't. I didn't realize. It's not I didn't realize it. I didn't think ahead. So we were like, okay, it's the coronavirus. Like, all right. And then groups canceled. And it's like football teams, they're coming in next week. And we ordered all this food for these football players and football players eat. Canceled. So, and then you start thinking like, oh my, we're losing thousands and thousands of dollars. And then they take away valet. Well, you don't think about valet. Well, it's an outside company, but then when people are outside, like, hey, can you park my car? I've got to run out there and explain to them, I'm not authorized to park your car, but you can pull up right here. Why am I paying for valet? So it's it's like smallest things um, that take the biggest hit. And it's just it's tough when certain hotels have things in town, and then they come, you know, my hotel, and they're like, "Well, that hotel had room service, why don't you have it?" You know, staffing levels are different industry. I mean, you know, company wide things like that. So there's a lot of moving parts with the hospitality industry, and people. Um, I don't think they don't they don't see it. A lot of people kind of underestimate this industry. They kind of just feel like, "Oh, it's a hotel," but there's a lot that goes into it.
0: So you're a person who loves to be around people. Um, you, I would assume, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, that you're an extrovert. An introverted
1: extrovert. Yes.
0: Same, same. <laughs> but you know, that the extroverted part, you're in, you, you're into hospitality because you love it. How did you, how did you survive not like not being able to engage? So w- when
1: I was working, luckily enough, we were still close enough where I could still be in front of the guest. I wouldn't necessarily come out in front of the guest as often as I would. Um, just because a lot of people, especially during the beginning were very, you know, Oh, you know, I'm, I'm okay over here, which is fine. I totally understand how people feel about it. Um, and then going from that to gradual progress, it felt better, but I was still around people. So I was never not around people, which was the good thing. I was around less people, which made it harder, especially during my shifts, because they were literally, you, you're one you're, you're stuck to that desk. One person per shift, eight hours, especially my overnight shifts. And I was just like, this is crazy. I'm in this hotel and I can I can yell across the lobby. Nobody would hear me uh, you know, pe- there's bats outside. There's everything going on outside. And I'm sitting in this lobby by myself because there's two people in house. And you think about like, wow, like imagine what this place was like last year at this time, it was bumping. Like the nightclub was gone, especially on the weekends, you had a nightclub. The bar was packed. I had myself and three agents at the desk so I could walk away. And now it's like, you know, you got to kind of pick up the slack. So definitely made me realize how good of a employee I was and how good I am at kind of working under pressure. Um, but I definitely missed the social aspect, especially at like going out, even restaurants and, um, you know, the nightlife, even though it didn't really exist here, um, you know, the shutdown. But still, you know, not being able to go out as often was definitely kind of hard.
0: Yeah, I was about to say you're in Houston, one of like my favorite places. Mm -hmm. You know, the eateries are great. The vibes are great, you know. And so being in Houston and not being able to like experience Houston the way you have previously, what was that like?
1: It was I didn't. It was tough because especially when I had people because I had a couple. um, Did I have a friend come during COVID? I don't remember. I think I did. But either way, you tell people to go places and you're like, wait, but you have to call and see if they're open, which stinks because there's staples in Houston that are like, you have to go here. You have to go there. And it's like, but can you dine in? Do you have to leave? Can I go to brunch? Can I do this? And brunch is like it here. I mean, it, it, it's, a, it's a way of life. You have to brunch in Houston. So, you know, at first it was like, everybody was like, oh my God, I'm like, what are we going to do? Like, do we do it at home? But then you can't do it at home because of people. And so, and especially the rodeo, the rodeo was like the big thing you know, that event, people earn their yearly salaries in that month span, you know, those vendors and everything like that. So losing all that people lost thousands of dollars because they didn't sell it. And it was open for maybe a week. Um, So like, it's just football, you know, the Texans play here that they can do that, the Rockets, everything. So like, it's just the tiny things that you don't think are like, important but then you go well, let's do something it's like no but they're not playing and you know we can't go we can't do that so for houston to be a city that was quote unquote shut down was kind of tough but you know the government here doesn't really uh,
0: adhere to those standards so we
1: haven't really been officially shut down since last year during the beginning
0: what was it like experiencing that weather the the, the right? winter storm that um, happened?
1: so houston itself it's, it's nothing we've never experienced. So we've had hot weather up there cause it gets humid in the Northeast. It gets humid down here. Um, so I wasn't miserable. It wasn't like, Oh my goodness, the summers are unbearable. Um, but it does get hot here. It's, it's very, it's very hot. Um, but when it gets under 40 degrees, people like shut down, they panic. They're like, Oh my goodness, it's so cold. And I'm like, okay, well it's, it's cold, but it's not like, you're not going to die. You'll be all right. So When they said we're going to get this winter storm, I'm looking at the news. I'm like, okay, two to five inches. All right. And, you know, of course, everybody clears the shelves and, you know, everything sold out again. And um, so I went to bed Sunday. The power was on. I woke up Monday. It was off. And I said, okay, I figured it would be off because, you know, power here is so faulty. Um, And I was like, well, it's really cold in here. So I lit a fire um, and I waited and waited. So Monday, it was dark. And I slept there. I lit some candles. Tuesday, I woke up, still dark. Um, and then by one o'clock, my coworker just happened to call me. And she was like, where are you? And I was like, I'm at home. Where else would I be? you know? She's like, I'm at home. I was like, do you have lights? She's like, yeah, I have lights. I packed a bag. I never packed so quick and left my house and gotten over somewhere where somebody had heat and water and lights because it was rough. And it was only for 25, 20 to 25 degrees it was a dusting of snow. I still saw the grass. So I was like, I don't know what people are freaking out about. But the ice on the roads was crazy. And they didn't have they don't have treatment in Houston. So literally, if there's an ice storm, the sun has to melt it. And that didn't happen until about Wednesday. So when I say ice rinks, like even walking to my car, it was just like, this is crazy. And then the power being out for so long and the grid and all those issues, it was just a testament to how like a state like Texas, as big as it is with its own power grid for some odd reason, you know, can't handle something like that. But then I've heard from people in the past that go, well, this happens to every storm. They say this. They're going to fix it. They're going to do better. And we're still out for a week. So it just it's interesting to live somewhere where it's like, oh, it's a big state. It's Texas. It's Houston. It's a big city. And they still can't handle, you know, one of those five year storms. So it was was very interesting.
0: I'm watching people that I love live there and I'm like, no.
1: It's a great, it's a great place. I love, I honestly love it here. Like people are like, are you going to come home anytime soon? I'm like, if I don't have a choice, like, I mean, if I don't have to, I'm not, I'm not. No, because I like it here. I mean, it's different for everybody. Um, I mean, my biggest, my biggest dislike here is the rain and the flooding. That's the biggest thing for me. I'll drive in a blizzard before I drive in rain here because when it downpours here, you don't know where the pockets of dip are and you're going through two feet of water and you're on the highway. Like, because this city is built on a flood pl- Like it's built on swamp essentially. So when it rains here, it pours and if it rains for a day or more and your area is prone to flooding, just, just get ready. My hotel flooded three or four times and I was there for two years Almost three.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It was next to a bayou. And when that bayou would crest, it just, and then take everything out. Pool would go out. Everything. Yep.
0: Now, in the midst of all of this, all your greatness, you're also mm-hmm. a licensed life insurance agent. I am. How in the heck did you get into that?
1: So Cliff Notes version, 2019, I was looking at um, Northwestern Mutual as a financial advisor um, and realized it was um, commission only. And at the time, I wasn't about to survive off of three months of nothing, you know? So um, I said no, but I knew I wanted to do something in the, uh, along the lines of, you know, financial, even though I was never good with math um, or numbers, but like it was a different field because you were kind of assisting them um, handle their finances. So um, fast forward to last year in, in July, and one of my old agents used to work for me at the hotel called me, Um, And she was like, hey, I'm going through this training. Can you sit in on it? And I logged into a Zoom. um, And this guy told me about life insurance and what it looks like and the company that um, he represents because he's an independent contractor in theory. Well, he works for them now, but you start off as independent. um, And how they help you become a life insurance broker. And from there, you can do a lot of other things. And by the end of the call, I had signed up. I got my training materials. And it was go go go. Um, so it was it was interesting sitting through there and realizing what he told me um, through that presentation was just like wow, this is stuff that a lot of people don't know, and uh, we got to get it out there.
0: What were some of the things that he told you that made you interested in even learning more or even wanting to now then teach and you know help people get life insurance?
1: Yeah. Um, So he literally was just like, you know, what do you know about life insurance? And I was like, well, it's money for when you die, essentially, um, which is called a death benefit in theory, you know, because you're not living when you're dead. So um, he was just saying, you know, 10 years ago, the average life insurance agent was a 55-year-old white man, you know, and nothing wrong with being 55, nothing wrong with being an old white man. But, you know, that demographic that they're reaching out to wasn't us. It was people more like them. Um, And then fast forward to now and the need for life insurance is a high contrast to the agents available per person, if you were going to do that. Um, So literally he just basically said you could pay $60 a month for the rest of your life and you can have a $250,000 life insurance policy, just $60 a month. If you paid $60 tomorrow and you died on Friday, you're gonna get two hundred fifty thousand dollars to bury a loved one, or your loved one's gonna get two hundred fifty dollars, a thousand dollars for you, and that like struck me. I was like, the amount of GoFundMe pages you see, and oh, we're selling dinners, we're selling T-shirts, we're doing this, we're doing that. When all you had to do was take all that money you spent on buying that food and p- making those T-shirts and put that into a monthly payment, and have you know security, a proper burial for ten grand and then all those debts for that person if they had any, and then money for their family after. Um, And a lot of us don't realize how easy it is to start that trend of getting us, um, you know, as inner city kids or less fortunate kids, it's not even, you know, a a person of color thing, it's blue collar um, Americans um, that live in rural areas that don't know anything about it, um, that they could, it's just that easy. Um, And I think When I heard all of this go down, I was just like, yeah, yeah, you
0: know, I, what, what could you tell people right now, um, that aren't, that don't think that right now they need life insurance, right? I'm 30. I'm, why would I need life insurance?
1: So I'll I'll start by saying this, the longer you wait to get life insurance, the harder it's going to be to get life insurance. So if you're 60 and you're diabetic, well, I'm not going to say diabetic because having under, it's, it's, that's a deeper story. We're not going to get into that, but you're 60, you're in fairly good health, but essentially you've reached the latter part of your life. So the insurance agent is going to go to the, um, you know, the, the insurance company and they're going to say, okay, well, she's 60, you know, why, why does she need a million dollars? If it's not going to get her to, you know, she's not going to live 40 more years, you know, things like that, that people don't think about. Um, and I'm like, well, I'm, I'm young, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm healthy, I'm, you know, active, I do this and I do that. And it's like, yeah, but then what happens when you get cancer? Depending on the life insurance policy you get, you can take out an amount of that money before your death. So uh, people don't know that for, you know, sicknesses and illnesses. Um, and then through the years, you can accrue a value. I have a whole life insurance with my um, provider and I pay $60 a month. Right now it's 100k, but I can up that. But by the time I'm 75, I'll have my death benefit of 100k plus I think close to $90,000 of cash value. That I can take out of that bank and share it with the world. You know, so never wait even your kids life insurance policy on them. You can call those those are called riders, but those are you can have your life insurance policy and then boom, your kids right under. Um, anything. It's just people have to be aware that, you know, anything could happen with this pandemic, especially when people just didn't know. You don't know. right? You don't know.
0: Yeah. And so how how does this play into, because one thing that you said that Mm -hmm. you were interested in is generational wealth. So how does, how does this play into that?
1: Of course, everybody wants to work. You should want to, I don't want to say work. You should want to have a lifestyle and career that you enjoy, and that you can benefit from. You know, nobody wants to feel like they're going to work every day. You want to feel like you're just doing something that you live for. So with the quote unquote generational wealth, I'm not talking about, you know, Jay-Z, who just sold his, you know, liquor company and now he's a billionaire, more of a billionaire, and that's just generational, generational. But for us to get there, quote unquote, we have to set our future up now. So by me having a life insurance policy it only cost 10 grand to bury me if i had a 10 100,000 dollar life insurance policy plus my debts hopefully they'll be gone by then so okay my kids and my grandkids have 90k cool so then from there they can take that that's college that's you know house that's you know things like that so understanding where we don't necessarily have to be less than per se we don't need to be a lot of us shouldn't be living in poverty, shouldn't be having free or reduced lunch, shouldn't be below the, you know, medium income line because if things were kind of taught to us in the past, we would have been in that house. Our parents, grandparents, great grandparents, after they did that great migration or whatever wherever they ended up, they should have been able to get that house with that picket fence and everything in between and then set us up for our future. So I mean, starting now, it's good to get us going and get us aware of what we can do with this generation. Um, Even, you know, generation what's before us. Well, your generation, X. So like even now, the 30s, 40s, you know, getting them going. So
0: I can't remember the first time that I heard of what life insurance was, let alone understanding why it was needed. Um, And so I wonder, why aren't these conversations happening in black homes black communities so it
1: goes back to that 55-year-old white male selling the insurance it's that we i don't want to say we weren't given the resource because we are smart enough to find our own resources it wasn't instilled in us so we weren't you know growing up you were you were told oh you're going to you're going to go to school you're going to come home you're going to do your homework you're going go to church you're going to go to college you're going to work nowhere in there was you are going to when you're 18 you're going to get a life insurance policy um i'm going to take you off mine and do like no, we didn't hear that and then when you start a job of course you get life insurance but that's group life insurance and that only happens only works when you work there so if you don't work there you don't lost your life insurance <laughs> so that's just some extra money if you get lucky if you're at work and or where you're still employed and you pass away that's some extra money if you have an existing life insurance policy um so I think it it goes down to, it goes back to us just not being aware we weren't we weren't taught it, unfortunately, um,
0: and it also probably wasn't made or meant for us. A- if you look at if you think about it, the
1: time if you look at life insurance companies and when they were founded, you know we're talking 19th century. So 19th century black people weren't in the runnings <laughs> to pay you know back then probably ten dollars a month for life insurance. So, we just have to talk about how we are going to prepare for the future, you know, what happens if you die tomorrow. And a lot of people don't get that. They don't think about it. Like what are you going to do for what are your parents going to do or, you know, if you're a child, what what are your parents going to do with your stuff or how are they going to handle your student loans? How are they going to pay for this credit card, for that credit card? And then as a parent, you know, what's going to happen to the house? What's going to happen to, you know, the cars, all that? So, you know, just being able to prepare. That's the main thing that my, like, that's my why is getting us ready. Just ready. You gotta be ready.
0: Yeah, I I agree with that. I think, you know, even for me, um, that's been a conversation that I have been purposefully having with my own parents, right? Mm-hmm. I've been talking to them about, God forbid, if anything happened to them together, um, right. you know, what, what kind of service do you want? What kind of, do you, what do you want for this? Who would I contact for this? Um, and although it's a very uncomfortable conversation, right. I feel like it's really necessary. And I think I push for them to put it in writing um, mm-hmm. Because I'm like, I know that I wouldn't have to fight anybody for anything. You're right. There's only right. two of us. Um, <laughs> and so and so I know I wouldn't have to fight anybody for anything. Mm-hmm. But I just I would want to be able to honor them the best way possible. Right. And I think having the information that's necessary for that to, to be able to honor whoever your loved one is, um, to have them put it in writing. Um, can we talk about let's talk about that process? Like, mm-hmm. what does that look like? for
1: people? So, I mean, writing your living will, it's, yes, it's important. I mean, it, it doesn't necessarily tie in to the actual insurance policy. Because um, the policy itself is basically, you could say, okay, you have $100,000, 25 of this goes here, that goes there, that goes there, that goes there. Um, that's that aspect, the monetary aspect of it. When you're talking about a will, it's kind of like, binding what you already kind of put in place which is also important because people have valuables people have you know things that they want to give to certain people um but also doing that like you said prevents then okay we had a sudden death in the family and now we're sitting around the table as a family arguing about well who's going to take her this who's going to take her this i don't want that well you you said you liked it 10 years ago why don't you want it now so <laughs> it's little things like that that you don't think about but having things in writing and saying we're, a, B, and C is gonna go um, is incredibly important um, for the final process because you know who wants to be dealing with grief and then have to figure out how am I going to clean out this how, where am I going to do all this stuff um, so that goes in with the insurance policy and being prepared and being ready um, for whatever's thrown at us because you can't you can't be stuck you know being stuck is the worst place to be because then you don't know how to restart how to start again or um, you know how to go back that is and start in such you know
0: <laughs> it is the worst place to be right cuz the yeah. like you said the last thing that you want to be dealing with in your grief is the planning part of it and i think that Correct. that's what i think about is mm-hmm. i don't want to have to then because then i have to put i'm not a, in a place to grieve because right. I, I have to work now, right? I have to make mm-hmm. sure that this gets done instead of just being like, here's what needs to get done. Yeah. Let's do this. Um, one of the things that I wanted to talk to you about yeah. was your, your dislike of the world's most precious food, avocados. All
1: right. So <laughs> I just took a quiz. Cause you were like, what food? And I was like, I don't know. I'm going to take a <laughs> quiz. I literally Googled a quiz. I was like, what food would I be? And it was like avocado because it was like you're like, what's the word? Um, basically, it called me a millennial because of mm. what I said, <laughs> um, and I was like, mm. okay, cool. Like, yeah, I'm a little uh, artsy and I'm outgoing. I'm business oriented. Like, I I can understand the avocado, being that everybody loves their avocado toast, they love their guac, and like I'll eat it. It's the texture from it's the texture. I can't. So if there's guac, I'll dip it. I won't scoop it. Um, Mm. I'll have a little bit, I mean, the taste is fine. It's just, I don't want a whole glump of it on my tortilla chip. And then, um, my old, my previous job used to make this really good avocado toast with bacon jam, but I would spread the avocado, like very thin. So it's just the taste. Mm. And then, so it's not like I won't eat it. Like I will not eat a tomato. Mm. Do not put a red tomato in front of me. I won't squash it. I won't do anything, but avocado, I will probably, right. No.
0: What's wrong with tomatoes?
1: No. No. You if you go on the street and ask people, like a lot of people do not like tomatoes. I do not like tomatoes. Red tomato fried green tomatoes are a different story.
0: But they taste the same.
1: Those are <laughs> no, it did. They do not. They're not right. Fried green tomatoes are so mm. good. But no, regular tomato, oh. that's the one food that I will not I will not variate. Don't variate it. Don't put salt and pepper on it. It will not help, <laughs> and I won't. <will> <laughs> I just know everything else. I'll, I'll, eh, whatever. But do you eat pasta but sauce? Yeah. The avocado just came up. I eat anything about every tomato, ketchup, but it's different. It tastes different.
0: That's, in- I mean, that's interesting. Yeah,
1: ketchup, pasta sauce. I was salad. like <laughs> stewed tomatoes.
0: <laughs> do I eat tomatoes? Tomato paste. Yeah, I love tomatoes. I can't eat tomatoes just because mm-hmm. the acidity does not agree with acidity, my body. See.
1: That's what happens when when you get over that 25 <sighs> pressure. People, Come,
0: let's talk about that. Tell people.
1: Things like crap. I'll be in bed and like, I'll like move my leg and crack, like, crack. I'll move my arm. Crap. And I'm just like, <laughs> I'm laying yeah, here.
0: I, that's the th- the like, whole, I don't think that that's discussed enough. That when you get over a certain age, your body starts becoming insensitive or having insensitivities to certain things that you used to be able to. Mm-hmm love like i can't eat beef the way that i used to it's like a once a month type of a thing um i have Jeez. to up the, my vegetable intake because i can't eat bread all the time it, the change <laughs> you bake I, I bake what is yeah, life it's it's absolutely uh, i can't put a lot of sugar in stuff because and then it's too sweet it just-
1: I discovered that, so Burger, for those who don't know, is a Texas, like, staple for burgers. So when you come back here, if you never had a Burger, you got to have Burger. It's just a really good, bur- mm-hmm. it's fast food, but, like, it's just different. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But I have found in the past six months that I get heartburn from eating just that fast food restaurant. No. So I'll be, I'll take one bite and I get the same thing every time. Bacon and cheese, bur- a bacon cheeseburger. I'll take the first bite, and by the second bite, it's just hard. I'm just like, are you serious? <laughs> I don't know if it's the spicy ketchup or <laughs> the onions they eat, but it's just like, so I have to be prepared. It's like, okay, I really want water burger, but
0: it's going to hurt. I think that that's the thing that millennials have found out is like, okay, there are things that will wreck my body, mm-hmm. but I'm going to take whatever necessary so I can actually eat this.
1: Correct. Correct. <laughs> Luckily, I still have a good good system i can still kind of eat around but i don't eat as bad as i used to which is a good thing so
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know living and learning speak
0: speaking of food what's your favorite hotel you've ever stayed at
1: hmm that is also tough from what i can remember okay so i will say marriott's my favorite brand and that's just a that's just like cliche for hospitality right now but like oh of course you pick marriott but like, i love marriott My favorite hotel, okay, I'll put it this way. The favorite hotel I worked at was the San Francisco Omni, and they call San Francisco Hotel Heaven for a reason. Live flowers in the lobby on every floor, Um, granite marble doormen that know every restaurant from the edge of the city to the other one. Um, It's just, I was blown away, and I was lucky enough to spend about two in a month two and a half months out there, um, on a task force assignment. So that was amazing. Um, my favorite resort was the Orlando property, which is about 30 minutes south of Disney. You didn't have to go anywhere. Everything was right there. The the pool, you just go by the pool. You had the spa, the golf.
0: So I also love Marriott. I love Marriott resorts. Really. I think they do them really well. Why do you like Marriott as a brand?
1: I think because it was a brand. It was the first brand that I got introduced to academically. I won't say professionally because I haven't worked with them yet. But academically, Marriott was kind of like that company that was like, "Ah, oh, we're in there. So we've had Marriott Day at school. So we've had, I think, I think Arnie who passed away, who was the uh, president of Marriott, who passed away last month or this month. Um, I think he was at one. And they'll come and they'll sit on this panel and we can ask questions and they'll tell us about new things that are happening in the industry. And I just love their hotels. I don't know what it is. It's just a Marriott. I've never had a bad experience at one. Um, I mean, all the other brands are great, you know, Hilton and whatever other ones, Starwood, which is now Marriott. When Marriott acquired Starwood, that was like BMW acquired or Mercedes acquiring BMW. So now you have these two powerhouses and now you've doubled, almost doubled your portfolio. So now you've got additional hotels that you not manage. And then Marriott is also a franchise company. So you then you have Marriott's that fly the flag, but they're managed by different hospitality companies as well. So lots of moving parts, but I love how big it is. I love the grand scheme of that company.
0: I don't think people, guests get to see, mm-hmm. all we see is our room, right? We see, we see how people right. treat us. We see how we're checked in, what our room looks like. But mm-hmm. I think, The fun part is probably the behind the scenes part or the different, like you said, innovations that are coming Mm -hmm. to rise, you know, like. So what are what are some exciting things about the hotel industry?
1: People uh, from the outside looking in don't there's a lot of sacrifice that goes into this industry. You know, people will come to the Easter brunch, they'll come to the Mother's Day brunch, they'll come to Thanksgiving Day uh, dinner, Christmas dinner. And a lot of people don't think about, well, who just served me this dinner? somebody that's working on Christmas who just checked me into that hotel that I'm, you know, I spent a week away for Christmas holiday or Christmas vacation. People are working around the clock. Um, and I think it excites me. It, well, it excites me because I always want to like make people aware, like, Hey, we're here too. You know, don't forget us. We love what we do. That's why we're here. Um, and you know, the back of the house, you know, housekeeping, when I worked with housekeeping and the fun that we have back there is just, crazy you know get those girls working and when they're motivated it's the best way to have any team that is kind of behind the scenes because they're not necessarily appreciated out front unless they run into a guest and they're like oh thank you so much for cleaning my room otherwise the guest is gone sometimes the guest doesn't even see the, the maid because they're gone in the morning and they're back at night uh housekeeper i'm sorry so it's exciting because we then as management and you know front facing so that's like front desk sales food and beverage, we then, you know, appreciate those departments. So we have housekeeping week, which is a national thing. Every hotel does housekeeping week in September where we shower housekeeping with, we give them snacks during the day. We give them meals, candy, giveaways, everything. And then, you know, your engineering teams and everything like that. So your your culinary teams, your banquet staff. Um, So like just now, I just rattled off a few departments. You've got finance, which is really back of the house. You don't even see them time, You know, the money, that's where the money comes from. You got this finance department that's back there, you know, working. They're here for month month and right. inventory. Um, so it excites me because there's a lot that people don't know that they could get into. Like, yeah, you could work for hospitality, but you don't have to be in front of guests if you're good with, if you're an accountant, you could be a director of finance, making six figures, you know, at a hotel, being a director of sales. If you're a salesperson, if you're good with your hands, you're an engineer. Um, so for people to realize that this industry yes we took a toll but there's just so much more out there it's just like it's amazing to like tell people about it
0: yeah i think i didn't even i didn't even think of the growth yeah. opportunities right i think there are some job titles that people will hear mm-hmm. and they're like oh that's below me but they don't think of how actually staying with a company Correct. has more value than coming and going from somewhere so yeah if you started off in housekeeping but now you're in the finance department they value you as an employee because you started from a position that people would you know call like lowly or whatever or whatever you know underneath and so um you have more value to the company um and they're more than likely to want to promote you
1: yeah My um, previous GM, um, when I was in Connecticut, we actually I started with him in Connecticut and we ended down here in Houston. Go figure. Um, But he was born in Lebanon. And that man speaks about three languages, He speaks French, Arabic and English, and he has a thick accent. And he came here and he started with Omni, I don't know, uh, let's say 20 years ago, but he was, I think, a busboy. And he ended up being a G he was a GM at the end of his career when he finally, you know, re- retired and left the company. It's just and back then you didn't necessarily need to be educated. You can just work your way up the ranks and get to the top. Um, and you can still do that um, depending on how lenient they are with their you know requirements, because um, essentially it's it's not necessarily learned. You have to kind of be hospitable. You can learn the ins and out of the industry, but you can't learn to be nice to people. You can't learn to use your head um, and think ahead and be customer service oriented. So for the growth opportunity, it's just, it's amazing from where I've been, you know, I left college five years ago and I've lived in three places are, well, I don't count home, but I've been home, (laughs) New York, and then here. So, and then from there, who knows, so a lot of people wow. in this industry who have been in this industry for more than ten years have most likely lived three or more places, because two wow. years is kind of a stint. You sign up, usually sign a contract for two years as a manager. So they want to mm-hmm. give you two years, get your feet wet, do that job well, and then by then they'll say, oh, let's send you to this property for two weeks because they need help, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. And that position's open. You're in a man. You're in an upper position. It's open. They're like, well, you did so well. Did you? Did you? did you want to take this? Did you, (laughs) you know, you're here. That's why I was in San Francisco for two and a half months because Mm. they, I went out there because I was interested and Mm. then Houston came up, but they were like, well, that's not till like October. Can you kind of stay? I don't have anything else to do, but yeah, they'll kind of just push you in there and then they'll say, well, why don't you do this one? And then by the time you know it, you're relocating somewhere else. But to be that, I don't want to say pawn, but to be able to be moved like a and be flexible is a really good, really good quality to be successful in this industry.
0: Is there a lot of representation of us in this industry?
1: So um, I actually found an article that was, it was related to the pandemic um, and literally one in five employees in this industry is a person of color. Um, and I was just like, I mean, it didn't surprise me reading that recently because last year, um, well, this is actually from last year, but this is right when COVID started. But last year, of course, with every company, the corporate office sent out a letter, uh, you know, talking about George Floyd and Black Lives Matter. And my president at the time, he sent out a statement, but it was very vague. And I felt as though it did not address the issue. So I sat on it. I, I, I prayed about it. I was like, do I say something? Do I write a letter? Do I call them? And myself and five other um, associates, um, black associates sat down and we drafted this letter to the corporate office saying how we appreciate it. But I mean, you didn't literally you didn't say that black lives are being cut down at an unusually high rate by law. law. You didn't say that. You didn't address the issue at hand. You kind of just said we value our employees. This isn't this, that. Yeah, that's in the handbook but what do you feel as the president of the company? And two days later, I get an email and it was like, we, we're we flying down from Dallas on Friday and we're going to have lunch with you and we're going to talk about it. And I was just like, wow, like that's wow. And then in the process, I'm looking at all these big companies, you know, Marriott, Hilton, um, whatever the big hotels you think of. I found two people of color on their executive boards. So it's just like, you know, For us or, you know, myself uh, personally, how does that motivate me? Like, why would I want to stay here? Um, Because I don't see anybody like me. You know, I don't don't see that. And then when your demographic for customers is six-figure salaries, 35 to 55 years old with, you know, essentially that is a non-personal color. That's your demographic. That's what you're reaching towards. And that's what I saw working with this company for two years. So yes, it was kind of like, okay, well, when am I going to get represented? But then it was like, well, well no, I need to be able to get to that point where I can be a manager, which I was at the time. And our whole staff was Black at this hotel. So when we opened that hotel in October of 2018, my director is Black. We had three managers. We were Black. <laughs> whole front desk staff, there was one, one uh, white girl. It was just like, Wow. And when people, when we used to come, when we would come into the hotel and these guests would be like, "All y'all work here? And we'd be like, yeah, this is my my staff. And they'd be like, well, it's good to see some of us, you know, instead of working in the restaurant, working in, so people notice when, Mm. when, when you don't see the normal standard, especially in even employees. So that motivates me all the time to be like, you know, I'm going to get there. I'm going to be that GM. I'm going to be that you know CEO or you know it might not be but it should motivate anybody to get mm-hmm. to where to get to that top spot
0: what a, what is a skill or some skills that um, this line of work has given you that you use outside of work patience
1: um that's a big one you have to be patient like and that is from every aspect that's from the job itself to your employee to your coworkers your employees the people advancement it's just patience itself. You just, you just kind of have to just, just wait, you know, um, don't turn it into complacency, which is what I did. And then I ended up getting um, released from my position, even though, cause I was planning on leaving, but I was so comfortable. And I was like, no, I'm going to wait. And me and my manager were like, we're going to get out of here, but we just need to wait. And they're like, well, what are you waiting for? Because I didn't want to start over. That's what, you're so used to doing something for so long. You don't want to start a new job. You don't want to go through orientation. And um, yeah, the good Lord said, no, you got to go. So he, 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 I I got booted. So I was made uncomfortable to then go out and find something that was right for me. Um, So definitely patience. Um, Endurance is another thing. It's going to, you're going to work long shifts. (laughs) The amount of long shifts in my feet and the shoes and the, endure. That's it. Um, what else? I mean, you have to, I can't even explain it. You really can't put it in words because you have to just be on top of your game. You have to be ready for anything. You have to anticipate anything. Um, you have to learn when to say things and what to say to certain people. And that's with any job, but um, especially when you're at a hotel and you're talking to people and you're standing there and getting to know your coworkers, you've got to, you got to just know what to say, when to say it, and be aware. You gotta be aware. It's just, I've learned so much these past like five years. Just like you meet people and they tell you things and you have certain situations with guests that learn, teach you how to be a good leader, teach you how to be a good listener. Um, it's kind of like a, it's a, it's like a rite of passage. I feel like anybody who's um, going to be successful should be in a customer service, customer facing role. Mm, I agree. To understand what it's like to be, that person. And you sometimes been that person. So you should empathize and be like, wow, I know how you feel. All right. I get it.
0: Now I have some like really fun, quick hotel questions. Okay. Mm -hmm. So housekeeping, do, do they prefer that the do not like clean my room sign be on? Mm -hmm. Or do they, do you know what I'm asking?
1: (laughs) So depending on uh, that, that's, I don't want to say it's a loaded question, but there's, there's a couple answers to that. So the DND, is what we call it, do not disturb, or the privacy sign is on the door. Okay, so housekeepers start at eight, right? Mm -hmm. So they go up to their floor. What they normally do is walk their floor and see what rooms have the privacy sign on. And they'll mark it off in the morning. So they'll go to the next room and see if it's empty and blah, blah, blah. They'll go back before lunch and see if the sign is on the door. If it is, great. If it's not, they'll come back and do it right after lunch. Then before their day is over, they'll go back again and check and see if it's on or off. Now, from the guest standpoint, guests are wonky. So they'll take it off, put it on, take it off, put it on, and then be like, my room wasn't clean today. Okay, well, when they went by, the privacy sign was on the door. So just just call next time. Just call. Um, the housekeepers sometimes prefer, depending on how many rooms they have that day, would prefer the room to be do not disturb. So like, oh, one less room. A unionized hotel, which is what I dealt with in Connecticut, they get points and paid for every room that they clean. So Mm. if they have a 15-room board and they clean 13, they get paid for 13 rooms. If they have a 15-room board and they have to pick up a room, they get paid for that. They get paid for extra if it's a pet in the room. They get paid extra if they have to travel more than one floor up or down. Um, so unions are very specific what they want, what they, but that's neither here nor there. That depends on the hotel. But um, housekeepers love what they do because they do it. Because a, a regular person that just wants a job, it's not for you because <laughs> those rooms right. you you I've seen some rooms. That's all I'm gonna say. And those girls really, really get in there. They get in there. They roll up their sleeves figuratively because they're all short but they roll up their sleeves they get in there put whatever protective gear they have to get on and as a super i helped so many of them clean as a super as a manager but they get in there and they clean those rooms they might so people you know, really
0: go into hotel rooms
1: and act a fool A fool. it's just it's crazy how people have they and some people are okay with it because they have the money and they're like whatever i wrecked the room cool um but then you have other people who are Unfortunately, they're disturbed. Um, We had one gentleman who was a Yale student and he failed the test. And he was one of those students where he was afraid to upset mommy and daddy. And he flooded his bathroom. He tore that room apart. Luckily the bed frame at that hotel was stuck to the wall but mattress was off the bed. He moved the hide boy where the TV sits on and those things are heavy. That thing was halfway across the room. The glass was off the top of the table it's just people do it they will do it
0: and then i mean but they're getting charged you know like yeah and they don't care yeah
1: certain people don't care he cared because he was a kid and he freaked out and his dad came in and he was like i'm so sorry and mm. blah, blah blah. i know he heard it when he got home um but there's other people who party they smoke and they don't care like we have smoking fees for a reason like you're not supposed to smoke in a hotel but people will smoke they don't care just have eh, two fifty dollars all right but then they don't think about the housekeeper that might not might be allergic to smoke that can't clean that room the washing of the sheets the bed skirt that has to be taken off now um the pillows and then the um, ozone machine that has to get put in the room so then we have to literally cleanse the air in a room and that takes about an hour so now you're taking away from somebody who could be in a room and things like that
0: can we leave tips for housekeepers in the room
1: yes so what happens is normally you have the same housekeeper throughout your stay Depending on how long you stay, they usually have the same floors, the same room. So she'll be the one, and she usually write her name. Depending on the hotel, she so write her name on a card um, at the end of your stay. You put it on your desk. Now, if a supervisor walks the room first, that money will stay there. That money stays there until the housekeeper goes in, and claims her money. Um, so yes, it is safe to you to leave it. Um, I have dealt with a lot of instances where engineering has gone into rooms and taken them. Um, I've seen housekeeping supervisors do that. Um, so these pro girls are, you know, depending on where they work, aren't making a lot of money cleaning these rooms. So these tips mean a lot. So yes, please tip your servers, your housekeepers, your front desk staff, we work hard. Um, it's rare that we get a tip, but you know, Hey, do what you can.
0: That was my next question. You know, tipping, I just never think to tip front desk staff. I I would only think to tip Um, housekeeping
1: yeah i mean it's a it's a service industry we're we're that's the thing about this industry is that we are providing a service and we're here working so if you feel as though we did a good job then and you want to reward us for it thank you i will take it um i've gotten very large tips for doing basically nothing because people are just there's there's nice people out there that are like you know i'm here for a long stay can you put me in a suite and I put this guy in a suite. He was here for business and I got $200 over two days for nothing. And it was just like, Mr. McGee, you really don't have to do that. And he was like, no. And I'll, I'll forever remember Mr. McGee. Like you, right. you remember these people because they do like things like that. And you're just like, I'm probably never going to see you again. But he was like, no, you made my two weeks here. Great. And that's why I do what I do. Because people, it's the home away from home. So you have to be the best you can be. So it's rewarding.
0: Do you have any? Hotel tips for people. You gonna talk
1: about hotel tips. All right. Um, what do we say? Okay.
0: Check-in time
1: is the check-in time because the check-in time is the check-in time. And I know that sounds crazy, but three o'clock or four <laughs> o'clock is the check-in time because housekeepers have from eight o'clock till four o'clock to clean those rooms. And if the hotel is sold out the night before, your room will not be ready at nine o'clock in the morning when you arrive. And if it isn't ready, do not get upset at the front desk because- I personally cannot clean rooms and check in at the same time. So it's not my fault. And it's also not housekeeping's fault because your room is still occupied until noon. So, you know, be aware of the check-in time. If you want to request an early check-in, please call or request it on your reservation. It's not a guarantee, but we will put the request in. Um, Charges are in place for a reason, um, like rollaways. Some people charge for rollaways. Personally, the ones that we had at the Houston Hotel were like They were taller than me. They were huge beds. To make those things up, to roll them down the hallway, to put them in your room, like, that's a lot. So, yes, there's going to be a fee for that. Um, What else? What else? What else? What else? Um, If you could strip your room before you leave, that'd be great. Towels all on the floor in the bathroom. Strip your bed for the housekeeper so you don't have to do that. That'd be awesome. Just be nice. Is there a way to get special perks? Depending on the hotel. um, So, let's say Marriott. If you're part of the Marriott Bonvoy program. So, if you're a rewards member, just sign up for Any any hotel you go to, if they say, did you want to leave an email to sign up for blah, 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 just say yes. They're not going to bombard you with emails. It's going to be a promotional email here and there. And then once you stay at those hotels, you get points. And then, you know, after 10 nights at a Marriott, you get to the next status. Um, With Omni, after nine nights, you get a free night. And then you get to the next, you know. So just do it. The, The worst, the least you can do is get a discounted stay you know, they throw out promotions, everything like that. So leave your email. Just be nice. That's the main thing. Just just be nice to people. You're checking into a hotel. You're here to have a good time. Um, we do what we can for you. It's very rare that, that someone's going to be initially malicious to you as an employee. It's just, there'd be no reason to. So, you know, if something goes wrong, uh, explain yourself. Don't necessarily yell. If you're upset, you're upset, but, you know, we're here to help. So just think of it as if you were, if your child was working through college at a hotel. How would you feel if somebody went up to them and started berating them because, you know, your valet was still up front and you still paid $34, but we have the keys. You know, things like that. Just little things that people just expect a lot out of this industry and they just don't think about the reality. They want this fantasy.
0: And, and one of my last questions, mm-hmm. being in this industry, has it made you a hotel snob?
1: I don't want to say snob, but I do... I do, when I go to a <laughs> hotel, I check for dust. Dust is my thing. Mm, so okay. So if, if you ever see me walk into a hotel room, I will literally go into the bathroom and I'll drag my finger across the countertop. I will drag my top finger across the doorway. I'll walk across the TV and and I'll do that. I'll hit the curtains um, and I'll look, if there's an under the bed, I'll look under the bed, but rarely there's under the beds anymore. Um... And then I will look in drawers.
0: So, <laughs> so, so like, here's the thing, right? Cause for me, I like to think of myself as a hotel snob, right? So I, I there, I just can't stay anywhere. And I've been this way since I was little, mm-hmm. I would cry. Because oh, I was uncomfortable oh, oh, in a bed, oh, no. because it made me uncomfortable, because I didn't like how the, the tub didn't look clean, because I was used to a specific aesthetic mm-hmm. at home, right? And I just mm-hmm. couldn't there were times I could not get comfortable. I'm ta- Roger, my dad my my parents would have to buy cleaning products. Oh, yeah. To clean the some some bathrooms that we we stayed at before because I refused to take a shower when I was younger. Because right. I was like, this don't look like at home, and that looks like a ring around the tub. I'm not getting yeah. you. Okay so what so as you're inspecting mm-hmm. the room because i feel like i feel like i do my little due diligence i get my little lysol you know what i'm right. saying i spray i spray and now i see that there's this new tide yeah. thing that you can spray on on fabrics i'm fin i'm finna get that okay <laughs> so i'm like should i be doing all of that looking in the drawers hitting the you know like sh- what should we be looking for so post-covid
1: it's not the end of the world if you don't sanitize the room yourself because that room has been some hotels put a sticker on the door after they clean it to ensure that nobody's gone in there after like your room is wow. close to close to spotless in the COVID era prior I don't want to say that it was done haphazardly but I mean yeah if you wanted to feel comfortable with your room you can go around and you know wipe things down uh, now the dirtiest thing in a hotel room do you know what that is
0: The remote control.
1: Correct. So most likely the housekeeper did not wipe down the remote remote control. Because what Mm -hmm. I would do when I was working in housekeeping, um, as a supervisor, I would go in and strip the rooms for them in the morning. So I would go in, throw on Live with Kelly and Ryan, and just, one, to make sure the TV still works, and I would turn on every light, open everything, and I would just put that remote back down. And I guarantee the housekeeper would take the remote, wipe down, wipe down the nightstand and put it where it's supposed to be. So yes, the remote I would clean that. Now they put remotes and everything. Well, at least with my hotel, everything was in a bag sealed, um, so the remote was sanitized every time. Um, but yeah, I totally get it. Like certain chains or certain pro- hotels, I know I know what to expect. Not that I'm going to be staying at one, but you have nice La Quintas that are like top notch. Then you have janky La Quintas, and you have really nice Holiday Inns. You have chinky. so. It honestly depends on how old the property is, the management, Um, it just, it varies. But if you're going to, if you have a standard, then you need to stick to that standard because it gets rocky. Yeah, And some hotels are older than others too, as well. So, I mean, you can be a Marriott person to the T, you know, Marriott everywhere you go. But, you know, you stay at the Farmington Marriott where the conference is, that's an older Marriott. Hate it. An older Marriott. And then you go to the Marriott down here, the Marriott Marquis in Houston with a Texas shaped lazy river and 20 some odd floors, that's going to be a nice hotel. So the aesthetic will be different. And then again, you can't renovate 50,000 hotels in the same year. That's a lot of money. So, I mean, it's all, it's all strategic.
0: So Roger, where can the people that are, have been listening to this amazing conversation where can they connect with you on social media? So,
1: of course, I have my Facebook first name last name, which will be on the title of this podcast. Um, you can follow me on Instagram. That is at yo y o underscore underscore r o g. Um, you can also follow my business page, which is <laughs> I'm looking at my thing like I'm old. My phone. You should see the way I'm looking. You you guys should see the way I just looked at my phone. Like I had to pull. And he's away wearing
0: glasses from
1: my face. <laughs> I'm 27. I'm 20, so I need new glasses. These are terrible. So that one is at the Hive. T H E H I V E underscore P H P. People Helping People. That's my business page. Still under construction, but there's a couple of things on there with info, um, just to give you an idea of what I'm going towards. Um, but yeah, those are my my platforms. LinkedIn. Um, just search my name. I'm not going to give the URL because that's just crazy. But uh, yeah, LinkedIn, my professional, my professional Facebook, that's where it's at,
0: and all this stuff will be in the description. <laughs> Roger, this has been, <laughs> I, I love you so much. It's I, been great. I, yeah, I, I was really trying to think of. We were both really excited for this conversation too. Yeah. We were we were texting each other like, I'm really excited yeah, I'm to really talk about- <laughs> to you. <laughs> I'm really excited to talk to you, because I think there's just so many, so many things that we don't talk about as a people mm-hmm. especially life insurance right. that i'm just so glad that we brought that information to this platform
1: yeah
0: and i just adore you for so many gems that you dropped and um just for who you are i, I i'm i can't wait to write our blog part because i need you guys oh to goodness. see what his best friends <laughs> said about him and i mean there it's oh. so long that i can't even put it in this <laughs>
1: I sent them so like for those who do know me like I have a I don't want to say variety I have a good solid circle of people that I consider like best friends and then apart from that I have a wider circle of friends that I you know when I go home I hang out um and I'm very blessed to have that foundation um I don't know where I'd be with my best friends but the three of them that I norm that I talk to almost daily they're they're all feet they're my sisters they're all females because you know who else is going to tell you about yourself but, you know, a female? Because the males aren't going to tell you that you're, you're messing up. Um, so I keep them very, very close to me. Um, so when you said best friend, I was like, okay, well, this isn't going to one person. So I'm going to send it to all three. And it was early in the morning when I sent it. It was like 7 o'clock. And by like 7.30, I was just a puddle. I was like, it's too early. I just said, just describe me. I like I. I was like, you guys, like this is... Just, all right it's really overwhelming and it was like 7 30 and i was just emotional I was trying to find something to watch and i couldn't see like it was, just, <laughs> I was just like Alyssa, i was like i screenshotted them because i filled out the thing and then i was like just take these because yeah. i don't even i can't even fathom so um uh, it makes me feel good that people feel that way about me i don't think i do anything special but that's because you know as a person you don't i don't look for you know a pat on the back i just
0: Yeah. I'm just 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 trying to make it work. Mm -hmm.
1: Living my best life down here.
0: And you're doing a damn good good job of it, Roger. Thank you. Thank you. I love you.
1: (laughs) I love you too. (laughs) Hopefully, we'll get to Maine this year. Oh, my goodness. It's been the longest.
0: It's been so long since since you've been up here. And the next time you come, I really think we just should go sailing. We should just try and find somebody's boat and just get on it. That'd be fun. That'd be
1: really fun. It would. You have to know somebody with a boat and me.
0: Oh, I do. I know. I know a couple <laughs> people. <laughs> Perfect. I know a couple
1: people.